We're in the middle of a series on disciplined life. And I got to thinking, disciplined life, Mother's Day. One of the things that mothers ask you to do when you're growing up is some sort of a chore, something to keep you doing something and keeping you active. And I remember growing up thinking that chores felt like a waste of time. Um, I'll tell you, I actually do make my bed when Emily's not, when she's out on a trip. Because actually, a made bed is a lot more comfortable to sleep in. I sleep a lot better. Um, I, I do now clean up the dishes after I finish eating. But my mom had to wrestle with me for a long time to get me to do those things. Why? Because they are disciplines that actually do matter, even if they take time to learn, even if they take an incredible amount of patience to learn. We need to develop disciplines, and one of the key disciplines that we need to develop is the discipline of obedience. Simply being obedient is a discipline. Now, there's a number of spiritual disciplines that we've talked through. Uh, We've talked through reading scripture as a spiritual discipline. We've talked about giving, graciously giving as a spiritual discipline. We've talked about praying as a spiritual discipline. The term spiritual disciplines is nothing new. It's something that people have been doing for thousands of years, for 2,000 years in the church. But the point is, when you are purposeful and intentional, you can grow and you can be more Christ-like. So today, I want to take you to John 14, 15 to begin. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Real simple. That's our scripture to start with today. If you love me, keep my commands. That's what Jesus said. Obedience. If you love God, obedience. So I want to start with what does it not look like to make obedience a spiritual discipline? The emphasis here is on the not. I want to tell you what this does not look like so that when we talk about what it does look like, you can see the difference. First of all, Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. I want to tell you that making obedience a spiritual discipline does not look like following a bunch of rules in order to make one right with God. I'm going to tell you that you should be obedient. I want to tell you right now, being obedient is not going to make you right with God. You can never be obedient to be right with God. It doesn't work that way. Making obedience a spiritual discipline is not a way for you to make yourself right with God. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 8 and 9. And Ephesians chapter 2 is a chapter that really focuses on what it is like to live the salvation life. How do we live in light of the fact that Jesus came to earth, died on the cross for our sins, and rose again three days later? How do we live in light of the fact that we have been forgiven from our sins? That is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I want you to listen to what it says. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. How do we live God's way? It's by grace that we've been saved. And so making obedience a spiritual discipline doesn't look like following a bunch of rules 
to make one right with God. No, it is by grace that we are saved. We are right with God because Jesus graciously came to earth, died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, and rose again three days later, defeating death. We are right with God if we place our faith in Jesus. We are right with God if we put our complete trust in Jesus' death on the cross. Obedience does not make us right with God. Rather, obedience comes out of a right relationship with God. Second thing, making obedience a spiritual discipline does not look like following a bunch of rules in order to guarantee that you have special favor with God. So the first thing I told you is obedience does not make you right with God. If you have a sin problem, and guess what? We all do. Being obedient isn't going to fix your sin problem. Only Jesus can fix our sin problem. Second thing is being obedient does not guarantee you special favor from God. Just because you are obedient does not mean that all of a sudden you're going to receive all of the riches in the world. No. That's not how it works. That's actually called karma. Reject it. It's false. Being obedient does not guarantee you all the riches in the world. Look at how Jesus responded in John chapter 9. An interesting question arose amongst the disciples in John chapter 9. They come across a man who's lame. And they ask the natural question, why? What happened why is this man lame? So let's read in John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man. I, I'm sorry, let me start over. I said lame, I meant blind. Let me clarify that. Starting over. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. The disciples asked the natural question that I think all of us ask. Why did this bad thing happen to this person? It must be because they deserved it. It must be because they were disobedient. And Jesus says, no. That's not what's going on here. It is that God might be glorified. You see, just because you're obedient doesn't mean all sorts of good things will happen to you. So why do we be obedient in the first place? Because we're commanded to. Because John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Out of love for Jesus, our obedience flows. Because Jesus is our Lord and Savior, our obedience flows and so that gets us to the point of talking about what does it look like to make obedience a spiritual discipline? We're not trying to earn God's favor here. We're not trying to make ourselves right with God. So what does it actually look like? And here's where I want to take you and dig in to Romans chapter 6. So we're going to read a section of scripture here. Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. The Apostle Paul is writing on what it is like to be saved, how life works. Starting in verse 15, he writes, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? 
by no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you used to be slaves to sin. You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death? But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Making obedience a spiritual discipline looks like offering yourself as a slave to obedience. Offering yourself as a slave to obedience. Look at the way this is described. The Apostle Paul starts with a rhetorical question. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? I want you to understand levels of understanding of the gospel. A level one understanding, which is a misunderstanding, a level one understanding of the gospel says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and stops there. That's not good news, that's bad news. That's not the gospel. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you stop there, you have really, really bad news. But, level two, but by grace in a gracious offering, Jesus came, he died on the cross, he paid for our sins, that if we put our complete trust in him, we can have salvation. Level two understanding of the gospel says, I know I'm a sinner, but I know Jesus died on the cross and paid for my sins. I know that nothing I could do could ever earn salvation, but grace says, all I have to do is put my faith in Jesus. That's level two, and that is saving knowledge. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and paid for your sins, and you put your full trust in his death on the cross, you are saved. But I want you to go deeper in your knowledge. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying there. He wants you to go to level three. Because level two is good, but you're missing a key point. The Romans said, all right, I can't do anything to earn my salvation. So why do anything at all? If I can't do anything, I should just enjoy sin. And Paul says, no. You're missing the point. You're missing Level three. Level three goes so much deeper. Level three says, everyone's a slave to something. Before, I was a slave to sin. But Jesus died on the cross, and he freed me from the burden of sin. Freed me to be obedient. Freed me to live a righteous life. Freed me to live the life that I was intended to live. 
The slave to obedience, the slave to obedience refuses to serve sin and sinful desires because they recognize that everybody is a slave to something and I don't want to be a slave to sin. I've accepted Jesus as my savior and I choose obedience because that is the life that my savior desires for me to have. Making, a, making obedience a spiritual discipline looks like offering yourself as a slave to obedience. I will follow righteousness because Jesus bought me. Second, making obedience a spiritual discipline does look like patterning oneself after Christ. It looks like pattern, patterning yourself after Christ. That's the whole point of verse 17. When Paul says, but thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching. What's that pattern of teaching? Christ. Christ is our pattern. Being a slave to obedience leads us to patterning ourselves after Christ. It comes from the heart. It's not compulsory. Jesus doesn't force us to live like him. No, instead he calls us to live like him. As he transforms our heart to make us more and more like Christ. The pattern of teaching is Christ-likeness. Look at how Paul describes it. He says, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. We pledge our allegiance to lots of things. Whether or not you actually verbally pledge your allegiance, like maybe you do to the flag, or whether you pledge your allegiance in the clothing you wear, like maybe you do to the Huskers. We pledge our allegiance to lots and lots of things. And what Paul says is, if you want to follow in Christ-likeness, if you want to grow in Christ-likeness, pledge your allegiance to your Savior. If you are struggling with sin in your life, pledge your allegiance to your Savior. If you are struggling to obey, pledge your allegiance to your Savior because where your allegiance is, there your heart's going to be. And the pattern of teaching comes from the heart. Finally, in verses 18 through 23, we see that making obedience a spiritual discipline looks beautiful, even if the metaphor is harsh. Paul says in verse 19, I'm speaking to you with metaphors because our human understanding is limited. And I want you to notice the metaphor that Paul has used. Slavery. Slavery is harsh, disgusting, terrible, and repulsive. But the metaphor is apt. Because sin is harsh, disgusting, terrible, and repulsive. The metaphor of slavery, on one hand, is awful, because slavery is awful. But on the other hand, it's an apt description of the individual that decides to serve sin. A harsh master 
that will destroy you if given the opportunity. Paul says in verse 21 that the fruit you bear as a slave to sin is shameful. The fruit you bear as a slave to sin is shameful. Actually, I think in our NIV, the translation there is, I would probably change it just a little bit. There's no punctuation in the original Greek. It's just a stream of words. I would add a second question mark. In verse 21, what benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Question mark. Those things that resulted in death? Question mark. Look at it. Don't you look at this? Don't you see that when you are living in sin, that the things that you do are shameful? Don't you see that they lead to death? Take a second and think about that. That that holds true in the world. Look at the things that are sinful. Do we talk about them openly? Hopefully not. It's shameful. Where do they end? In death? Paul's saying, look at your life before Christ. And the fruit that you produced, it was shameful. And it led to death. And then he says, instead, look what God does. Verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin, and you become slaves of righteousness, slaves of God, the benefit you lead leads to holiness. To being set aside for God. Things that used to be shameful that couldn't even be talked about are replaced with things that are holy to God. Things that bring God pleasure. Things that are set apart for God. And the result? It used to be that your work led to death. Now your work is of eternal consequence. Eternal life. Has eternal meaning and eternal blessing. Many of us have memorized Romans 6.23. You may not have, but many of us have. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But look at the context. The wages it's talking about there are wages of a slave. Disgusting, dirty, awful, wages that they can't escape day after day toiling away to produce shame and death but the gift of god is eternal life why because we are transferred from wages of sin from slavery to sin to slaves to righteousness where we now produce things of eternal consequence we make obedience a spiritual discipline. We choose to obey because it takes us from slavery to sin to slavery to righteousness. It takes us from disgusting and awful, shameful product to holy, sanctify, work of eternal consequence. Making obedience a spiritual discipline is beautiful. It's a perfect picture of our freedom from sin. So, how? How can you make obedience a spiritual discipline? I want to read you a quote. Uh, theologian Frank Thielman, talking about Romans 6, writes this. 
It is important when applying Paul's teaching in Romans 6, 15 to 23 to the church to leave the emphasis where the Apostle Paul places it, and that is on the necessity that believers present themselves to God for the purpose of living righteous and holy lives. This obedience arises from grace, and so should never be the cause of pride in the believer. But it nevertheless involves the believer's effort and will. In his letter to Titus, who was training church leaders in the rough culture of Crete, Paul tells his co-worker that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The term training refers to teaching and education, and so connotes discipline and effort for the one being taught. As Paul says only a few clauses later, Christ redeemed his people that they might be zealous for good works. To be zealous for good works. How can I make obedience a spiritual discipline? Be zealous for obedience. First action step is to make it a point of choosing to submit to the lordship of Christ. We accept Christ as our Savior. At that point, we are forgiven from our sins. But Christ is much more than Savior. He is Lord. He is Master. And we need to make an active, regular choice of choosing to submit to the Lordship of Christ. There are actions that we might want to do, but Jesus says, no, don't do that. And submitting to the Lordship of Christ says, okay, I trust you that I shouldn't do that. There are things that we are called to do. Baptism, we celebrate it. We are called to be baptized. Submitting to the Lordship of Christ says, yes, I will follow you in baptism. Submitting to the Lordship of Christ might be taking a pet sin, something that you have let fester, something that you've let develop in your heart, or something that you have continued to do, and saying, I submit to the Lordship of Christ to give this up, to stop and be obedient. How about this one? Submitting to the lordship of Christ might mean inviting a friend or coworker to church. That might be what it means to submit to the lordship of Christ, is to tomorrow say, hey, I need to invite you because I've been told to invite you. And I'm going to be obedient. It might be something as simple as that. It might be as simple as answering a call to ministry. Maybe God has called you to serve in a particular way and submitting to the Lordship of Christ says, yes, I will. What do you need to do personally to make a point of submitting to the Lordship of Christ? It's not a matter of convenience. It's a matter of obedience. If your mom today asks you to go do the dishes, and you say, doesn't work for me right now. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> My second action step. Regularly ask yourself, what would Jesus do in a situation? Regularly ask yourself, what would Jesus do? But don't just ask yourself, go and do it. Obedience involves not just asking the question. I think we ask this question a lot. 
But then we say, yep, that's what Jesus would do. But whew, that doesn't sound fun to me. All right, moving on. No, ask yourself, what would Jesus do here and now? And then go and actually do it. Take the step. It's not just a catchy phrase. It's a pattern that we should follow. Our memory verse of the month is Micah 6.8. Let's read this together. Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8. What does God require of us? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now remember, obedience isn't going to earn you a right standing with God. That only comes through Jesus' death on the cross. Obedience is not going to earn you favor with God. Obedience is simply the way we were intended to live. And that, in and of itself, should be reason enough for us to obey. Let's pray. Father, make us obedient. I pray that you would instill in us a desire a passion for obedience. That it would not merely be something we do out of obligation, but rather it would be something we do out of love for you. I pray that we would not look at obedience as a way of earning your favor, not look at obedience as a way of earning salvation. They don't. But rather that we would look at obedience as a natural outflow of submitting to your lordship, of recognizing you know better than us. Father, I pray that individually we would be obedient this week. I pray that corporately we would be an obedient church that follows you, that walks with you, that loves mercy and acts justly. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.